Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 321. We thank you guys so much for joining us. Today we are continuing kind of our trip report or weekend recap from the 50th weekend. And today is all about Epcot and the new offerings over there. So we're going to talk about Space 220. We were able to visit there for dinner. Harmonious, the beacons of magic happening at the front of the park on Spaceship Earth. All of that is to come. But Catherine... There are only seven left. It's kind of crazy to even say that, but of course we have to thank the members of our Patreon. It means so much to us if you've already joined us over there. If not, definitely be sure to check out the link in the show notes. We have a lot of fun things going on over there, especially Brendan is talking about the magnets that we have been sending out. We're down to seven. Kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. At the very beginning of this, I don't think we've shared this on air when we first launched the Patreon, we were fully expecting to like have to create fake accounts and like bribe our family to do it just to make it look like there was some activity over there. But you guys have come in full force and we are so, so thankful for everyone who has joined us over there, who has pledged something or just checked it out. We're so thankful that it's getting some attention and we are happy to have that space over there. But seven magnets left. If you want to grab one of those first 25 they are going sort of quickly. <laughs> They're going, which is exciting. They have new homes. Correct. Um, so, Space 220, I think let's start there. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, let's start at Space 220 because that's where we started the evening. So, of course, we got to Epcot after our day at school, my day at school, and we were hungry. I also realized that a lot of people don't realize that you're a teacher. They think when you say at school... A lot of people think you're in school. Oh, I mean, I am like, in a school, <laughs> but it's not my education that I'm working on. <laughs> um, they teach you a lot, though. They do. You keep uh, your hip because of your elementary schoolers. Oh, my gosh. So this is totally off topic, but they crack me up all the time. The other day, they told me that I would be much cooler if I had a nose ring. So, And they were legitimate. So we're doing it? No, I'm just saying, when you said hip, and it triggered my nose ring comment. And so if you have a nose ring out there, I guess you're really cool. In the eyes of elementary school students. Yeah, 10-year-olds. Me too. I think nose rings are cool. <laughs> I don't think I'm cool enough for a nose ring. But. Yeah. Okay, so Space 220, if you are not familiar, you may have seen some rumblings about it online. I don't know how much everybody has researched it up to this point. It has been coming to Epcot for a very, very, very long time. It was delayed multiple times throughout the construction process. One of those was due to some structural issues with the building. So apparently the story is that test track causes so much force in that area that Space 220's building was actually being affected by the shakiness, I guess, that test track was causing. So they had to 
do some more structural reinforcement before they could open. And then right in the middle of it, they had an executive chef quit on them. So they basically had to start the menu from scratch about halfway through. Which, something that we haven't mentioned yet is that Space 220 is actually part of the Patina Group, and they own a couple other restaurants on property, all of which we've always been a fan of. Can you remember what some of those are? So the Edison, Marie and Enzo's, Enzo's Hideaway, Via Napoli. They also have some restaurants in Disneyland, also some that are not associated with theme parks um, in Los Angeles and New York, I believe, Tokyo. They're a big company. But everything that we've always eaten at one of their restaurants has been good. So we did feel pretty confident going into this meal that we are going to enjoy it. So, and I will preface this by, this is talking about our experience. So we went for dinner. There are a couple of different options of what you can do right now. You can go for lunch as well or dinner. Both of those are prefixed menus for lunch. It is $55 per person. For dinner, it is $79 per person Or you can do a first-come, first-serve for their lounge seating. There you get either bar seating or they have some little two-tops that they have a different lounge menu. Some smaller bites. It's not prefixed. It's just maybe that's an easier option for something to do. I think maybe next time we go, that's what we will go for. We'll try to go on a very quiet day. A lot of times right now, people are experiencing very, very long wait times for that lounge seating though which makes sense because it's new and it is a very fun and kind of immersive experience i will say i appreciated when we first got up to like do the check-in process there was a cast member standing there basically telling people unless you have a reservation if you are here just for the walk-up line you need to try again another day because there's no chance of you getting in so i did appreciate that they were very upfront because i feel like sometimes the lines can get a little carried away and they were very realistic about how many parties they could still see for the rest of the night. And it allowed, you know, I know the people who are turned away were disappointed, but it allowed them to go figure out other arrangements instead of just standing in that line and then not getting into anywhere mm-hmm. before the park closed. So I do think it's good that they're monitoring that and keeping track of it. And from what I've been able to gather, we haven't done this, but they will give you an estimated wait time for the lounge as well, just based on how many people that they have in line. Last thing I want to say is, especially when it comes to dining reviews, obviously this is very, very subjective. This is based on our experience and our service. And I mean, spoiler alert, our stuff is going to be a fantastic review. (laughs) But I know this kind of episode always kind of scares me. Because I don't want to completely vouch for a place when I know, just reading online, some people have had very mixed experiences so far as Space 220 has just now opened for less than a month. They've only been open for about two and a half weeks. At this point, I just saw a a TikTok today of someone saying it was like the worst meal they've ever had on Disney property. Oh my gosh. So I guess it's just important to say with all of that then that there are other things out there or other reviews out there. And typically we are pretty easy to please. So there's always that. Yeah. The reason why that was kind of fresh in my mind is when I looked up the menu for this, so I could remember back as to what I had the Google rating of space 220 right now is a 3.5, which is honestly crazy to me. How does that look up one of the other patina group 
restaurants that we like. Like, look at Maria and Enzo's. Okay. So while you do that, I guess let's start in with the whole experience because I feel like it does kind of set everything up. Oh, Maria and Enzo's is only a 3.6. So maybe people are just very critical when, because it is expensive. Mm -hmm. I guess that's maybe something to get out of the way. We mentioned it before. $79 per person for a prefix menu is very, very pricey. And that will come into my review at the end of this as well. Maybe that's why a lot of these are not over four stars. Not over the moon. Okay, experience. So when we walked up, we did have a reservation. So we were able to just kind of walk into the building. I thought it was interesting. There were almost like two different people that we had to get through to walk into the building, almost like the bodyguards of Space 220. Well, kind of three, almost. There was the person who was directing to the lounge line. Then there was a cast member sitting on an outside desk. And then there was a cast member sitting at an inside desk. <laughs> so it was very, it seemed kind of secretive, which was a fun part of the experience. But then to be able to go up the lift elevator, whatever you want to call it, we were given a boarding pass, which was pretty cool. It was very futuristic. I don't know. It just made it more fun. To me, it was an experience, I think, is the best way of putting it, is that all the cast members are in character from that point forward. They everything is kind of building up to this moment. And I thought that riding the elevator up would be maybe a little bit gimmicky. I was completely immersed and I was completely blown away with how realistic everything looked and felt. I didn't. And I think felt is the key word. I didn't expect to feel things like we did. Mm -hmm. So we got into the lift and there's a cast member in there with you. And he's kind of walking you through what's going to happen as you travel 220 miles into space. So he's talking about things like you might feel dizzy. You're going to feel a change in you know cabin pressure, kind of like the things that they tell you when you're on a plane, but a little more elevated. And he's kind of talking you Elevated, up. Elevated, ba-dum-bum. Ba-dum-bum. And he's kind of talking you through everything that's happening as you're moving up. And like Brendan said, you can feel the different clicks. You can see things above you. You can see things below you. And I mean, something that I just really liked is as you moved up, since we are leaving Epcot, you were able to see yourself leaving Epcot and then even see like the state of Florida from above. Which I didn't realize until I watched the video back in those first few seconds. I think I was blown away just by how quickly things were moving. But they even have the construction like walls <laughs> up in Epcot whenever you're leaving. And the time of day also matters. So when we went up, it was still, it was kind of like dusk. It was daytime. Yeah, daytime leading into dusk. And that was reflected through our portal. I called it a screen before Catherine didn't like calling it's not it a screen. It, we're, if we're going to be immersive, we're going to be immersive. So looking through the portal, it was reflected that way. And then when we came back, it was nighttime and it was reflected through the portal at that point as well. So I thought that was super uh, kind of creative of that. They thought of everything. It seemed like. Yeah, it was very cohesive. And then again, it plays into the story that, yeah, you left from Epcot, you went straight up into space, you went to the space station, and look, you're right back where you started, and you can enjoy Epcot again. 
Yeah. So once we got up there, that that reveal I think is very cool. I don't think it's, you know, the obvious. I, I don't know if it's obvious. The comparison that we made live time in real life is we said this is like Rise of the Resistance, which if you've been on that sort of that reveal, that transportation, I think it's Space Two Twenty is similar to that, maybe downgraded by like. 25%. And I think it is just the wow factor that's kind of what blows you away because it is quite expansive what you're able to see. And like Brendan said, with the real timeness and just the dedication of the cast members to kind of be that character and like really sell that you are in space, I just think that whole experience was really cool. Again, very similar to the dedication of the cast members at Rise of the Resistance. Yeah. So once you get inside, I actually thought the dining room was a lot bigger than I expected it to be. It kind of wraps around and has a gigantic bar as well. We did say something that we were not expecting is there are a ton of tables in there. I mean, they really know how to pack a a room. <laughs> yeah. It's um and and that's honestly probably why they waited so long. But so that they could pack it a little more, you think? Yeah, which I would say if you're still on the fence about like indoor dining locations and being close to people, I would maybe give Space 220 some time because it's pretty crowded up there. And you're in a space station, so there's not a lot of airflow. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess that's true. Um, So as far as where our table was set, I thought we had an okay seat. I think next time I would ask... You know, can we wait a little bit longer and get a table right next to the windows? We were a little bit further back. I I, I had the worst seat of anybody at our table. Or do you think you had the worst seat? It might be a toss-up between the two. And the reason why we say worst seat, quote-unquote, is just because we had a big circle table. We were with a larger party. It was us and then two of our other couple friends. So there were six of us at our table together. We truly, though, had a table for seven, which is such an odd number for a table group, I thought. But the table was huge in itself. And our backs, me and Brendan, were to the big window. So we had to turn around and look, which was fine. It yeah, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, and we spent the whole time talking anyway. W- one thing to note, and maybe why we got stuck with a table like this, is our reservation was actually only for five, because that's all that our friend Colleen could get at the time that reservations dropped. And we were just kind of hoping that they would be able to add a six. So if you're familiar with how they're doing dining now, you do the mobile check-in before, which Space 220 actually didn't have it turned on, the mobile check-in. We had to go physically. We had to talk to a human, yeah. Um, But a lot of times you can add one or subtract at that point when you do mobile check-in. But they've taken that away from some very uh, good restaurants. Sometimes they don't let you add on a seat. But we went up and we said, we have a reservation for five, but we actually have six. And they're like, oh, no problem. So can't promise that will happen to everybody, but they were able to accommodate us with no extra waiting. So that could be why I would imagine if we actually were a party of five, they wouldn't have sat us at a table for seven. Do you think? I mean, that's probably true because then that's two extra seats. And I feel like that gets to be a little bit excessive when they're chairs and not like booth seating or anything like that. Because there were some pretty cool booths. And maybe that's where they originally would have put us. 
Okay. Do you think we've set the scene enough? We ready? Do you think should we talk about the screens before we talk about our food and what we ordered? Yeah, let's talk about just the rest of the ambiance, I guess. So the screen itself is where you are looking back down onto Earth during your dining experience. And there's a lot of fun things kind of going on outside too. So you're able to see different astronauts working on the space station or even just kind of playing around outside. Like we saw one guy who was out there kind of on like a hoverboard space. I don't know what you would call it thing. Almost like a snowboard looking thing. The waitress that we had also told us that you can see Mission Space flying around out there. So another cool tie-in to Epcot and just the area that you're in. And then did you see anything else? No, and I think that's maybe where one of the big complaints that I've heard so far from some people is just saying that the screens kind of repeat themselves. So if you sit there and you watch it, then you start seeing the same thing over and over again on a loop. And I guess my response would be like, well, how else do you expect them to do it? Like it has to be a loop Mm -hmm. in some sort of fashion. Now, maybe they should have made it longer to loop it, but um, because like we said, our backs were to it, we didn't stare at it. So I never saw the same thing twice actually. And I kind of liked it that I would, you know, just (laughs) periodically I would peek over my shoulder and I would look to see what's going on on the screen and then I would look back at my food that I was devouring. The one other thing that I did notice that we kind of hit on a little bit already, which is just that when we were looking to earth on the screen or on the portal window, whatever we're calling it at this point in time, we, I was able to see that transition from day to night kind of gradually, which was cool because they did do it slowly I guess kind of like real time, what you would have expected to see. It wasn't just bam, now it's night. You could see the progression going across the globe, which I liked. Yeah, that was cool. We saw all of our European friends. It was nighttime for you when we were eating. Well, and us. It was nighttime for us too while we were eating. Yeah, well, we were in like that transition period. Yeah. Yeah. By the time we got out, it was night. Mm -hmm. Okay, so food. We're going to take you through everything that we ordered, give our thoughts. And opinions on it. And we can even talk a little bit. We can't talk to maybe the taste, but we can mention what some other people at our table ate. Correct. So we both got two drinks. Um, It was the weekend. Don't judge us. Yeah, it was a big weekend. It was Thursday night. I wasn't going to school the next day. Woo. So I had first the Nebula, Maker's Mark bourbon, pineapple, honey, passion fruit, bitters, and moon dust. Now, truth be told... I don't know what the heck moon dust is. It had a lemon cut into the shape of a star and a sprig of mint. I don't know if that counts as moon dust, but... It absolutely counts. You think? That's moon dust. I'm just using context because I feel like that had to have been the moon dust because there wasn't any kind of like sparkle or, I don't know, sprinkles or anything in there to count as moon dust. This was a very, very good drink. I would absolutely get that one again. So I've tried a lot of bourbon and whiskey drinks on property now. And (laughs) that's not a brag. It's just like a, uh, it's just a fact. It's just a fact of it. And this one was probably top five. It was nice and refreshing. It wasn't overpowering. I really, really enjoyed it. And honestly, if I start with a good drink, there's a 
high likelihood that I'm going to enjoy the rest of the meal. And <laughs> so I'm glad I started with that. The second drink that I got was the Red Star, Jameson, Irish whiskey, dragon fruit, fresh lemon, and onyx. This was not good. It was not good at all. I mean, really? Okay, it was good, but it's not what you would expect out of a drink with Jameson in it. It was like a bright pink red color. Here's what I said, and I don't I don't know. Take this for what you will. I felt like it was something that like a college freshman would drink at, probably out of a cooler. <laughs> it was like a jungle juice type thing. With whiskey. You I feel like you could have just left it at it was a jungle juice. You gave us a very vivid picture. Well, you know, some <laughs> some things you can't forget, Catherine. But yeah, I would not get that one again. So then my drinks, the first one I got was the Atmos Spritz. And I got this one because when she described it, she talked very highly about the cotton candy. And it just sounded fun. So it has New Amsterdam vodka, Aperol, blood orange, orange juice, Prosecco, and a cotton candy cloud. And this one, the presentation was really cool because it came out in like a martini glass with just the cotton candy. And then she poured the drink on top of it. And Brendan was able to get a video of it because she was very considerate in like all of the presentations before they ever did anything cool. They're like, do you want a video? Do you want me? Do you want, do you want to record this? Sometimes we said yes. Sometimes we said no. But it was nice of them just to know that that's why a lot of people were there. Yeah. You got to get the the videos or it didn't happen. Camera eats first, right? Exactly. It was very good. I was a little nervous that I wasn't going to like it because it did kind of have like the martini vibe. I feel like sometimes those drinks are very strong. This one, it was definitely sweet. I think the cotton candy helped. It was definitely like a red kind of pink color, if that matters to you. But it was good. The second drink I got was more my speed. It was the Stargarita, which is basically just a margarita. Um, house-made, agave, sour. I don't really know what any of the other words are, but it was a margarita. That's really all you need to know. And it was good. It wasn't the best margarita in Epcot. I still think the best margaritas in Epcot come from the Mexico Pavilion. Ooh, but where in the Mexico Pavilion? This is a hot topic. Ooh, I mean, inside the pyramid. La Cava? Is always good, Yeah. The strong ones, though, I feel like are at the little outside booth. They don't mess around out there. They don't mess around out there. But it was a good margarita. I was happy. Yeah. Uh, just talking about some other things that people got at our table. Uh, so we went with our friends Kelly and Pat. And Pat got the, oh, which one is it? The Jupiter Fizz, which yes. was Hendrix Gin, Aperol, Grapefruit, and Mango. Which I have no idea what that Aperol is, but they use it a lot. Yeah, they use it in my drink, too. If you know what that is, that they use it a lot. He liked it so much, he got the same drink twice. And that says a lot. I feel like when you get the same drink twice, that means it's awesome. Yeah, so I maybe wish that I had switched to that one on my second one instead of the Jameson drink. And then our friend Kelly got the Big Tang, which I almost got this because I was saying beforehand, like, they better have something with Tang. Yeah, if, you're if you going go to, to space, space, you need Tang. Yeah. And so it was uh, silver tequila, Grand Marnier, Tang-infused agave nectar, grapefruit, strawberry, served with astro- astronaut ice cream. Now, it wasn't orange. I have a big problem with that. It was the strawberry. It had like that reddish tint. It did not look 
the way that it was supposed to. I want it to look like Sunny Delight. Well, no, I want it to look like Tang. I guess that's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Yeah, wrong 90s drink, Brendan. Yeah. Do they even sell that anymore? Tang? Sunny D? Yeah, I saw Sunny D in the grocery store today. Wow, we should have bought some. What a time. <laughs> I don't even like it, but it just sounds like something it would be fun to see in your fridge. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the notable drinks. I think uh, the astronaut ice cream with it, I, I didn't see that on the Big Tang. Did you? Yeah, I'm not sure. It threw us off because apparently we were the only two people at our table who had no idea what astronaut ice cream was, I guess. We need to go to the Kennedy Space Center, I guess. Yeah, I guess we live underneath a rock. Maybe it just melted because of the way that it came out. I'm not really sure. One other thing to note before we move on to food is that I I wanted some cocktails the night that we went, but I did look at the beer list. And this is an area where I feel like there was a lot of missed opportunities. So if you look at their beer list online, it's Mick Ultra, Modelo, Blue Moon, Stella Artois, Bud Light, Corona. Like those teams, they only have two beers that I think would fall into the craft beer category, but even then, not really. The Sierra Nevada Hazy Little IPA, that's a national brand. The only local beer that they have is Crooked Can Florida Sunshine Lager, which that's a brewery in Winter Garden. So that's that is very local. But I feel like they could have found some more on-themed beers to put on the list besides just your normal domestics. Are there, is there a whole category of space-themed beer? Am I missing something? Well, um, not necessarily. I mean, you could probably get some to like specially make some space-themed beers. I know there's like a white UFO beer than I've had before that would fit into this category. I just think, even if they're not space-themed, I think more emphasis on, like, craft beer or, you know, playing with the theme of that we're up in the space station, so they're having to ship everything up with us. So get some Florida local beers instead of the Bud Lights and Make Ultras. Just one observation that I had. Okay. I can see that. So let's get into our three-course meal. I was very excited for this because I like, I don't know, I like the idea of a three-course meal. Like, I just think it's fun. I like knowing that it's all included, even though, like we already mentioned, it was quite expensive. I just like knowing that I get a little bit of everything. Plus, we decided ahead of time that between the two of us, we were not allowed to get the same thing. So that we'd get to try more, which is very rare for us. We typically get the same thing. Yep. And if Catherine's parents are listening, Catherine got a vegetable as an appetizer. I did. You're welcome, mom and dad. Now it might have been deep fried, but that's besides the point. I went with the Blue Moon Cauliflower. It was a callback to one of our favorite ever Epcot food festival festival foods that we've ever gotten from Morocco. They had a deep fried cauliflower. And ever since then, I just love deep fried cauliflower. It's great. And it was no different here. So it's tempura fried cauliflower, a house-made hot sauce, which I'm a big fan of. And then typically it comes with blue cheese dust, but I don't like blue cheese. So I just asked for it to not have that. But the hot sauce was the, I mean, the the tempura breading was very good, but 
the hot sauce was the star of the show, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. It just gave it a little something extra. I mean, I always think if you're eating a vegetable, you probably need some sort of dipping sauce. Like who wants to just <laughs> eat vegetables by themselves? But it was very good. And the portion size was incredible. I can eat it all by myself. You had just a few pieces because, of course, you had your own appetizer, but I didn't finish it. It was so much. Yep. I got the Starry Calamari. Nice little. Yeah, that's cute. Alliteration. No, not alliteration. Rhyming, I guess. Yeah, it kind of rhymed. Uh, So Calamari, Italian cherry peppers, spicy marinara, and roasted pepper citrus aioli. So actually now reading back, I didn't realize that was a spicy marinara and not like cocktail sauce. (laughs) Did you think it was just a normal cocktail sauce? Yeah. But that was your favorite part, wasn't it? You liked the marinara. Well, I I said that before I tried the pepper citrus aioli and that ended up being good because that was almost like a roumalade Mm -hmm. type dipping sauce. But I really, really enjoyed it. I think... Sometimes calamari can be rubbery, but this was nice and the breading was good and it, it was very good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I had a few pieces too and I thought it was good. I was going to say that I preferred the roasted pepper citrus aioli, although truthfully that's the only one that I tried because I just knew I was going to like it. Another thing that we had this conversation at the dinner table, you'll have to let us know what you think. I have always been under the impression that calamari can sometimes be like a full like mini octopus. No. Brendan thought that was ridiculous, but I swear I have seen it before. And that's why I didn't order this appetizer for myself because I would be terrified if they just put a bunch of little octopuses, octopi on my plate. But they were the nice little rings. Which is what calamari always comes as. That's not, so then I, then I need to know what, what is it called? Okay, first of all, calamari is squid and not octopus. But squid and but they look the same. <laughs> Do they, they look, though? It looks like a little mini octopus. I know it can come that way. Mm-hmm. That's just a little tangent. I feel like for the most part, most people at our table got one of those too. I feel like someone got the Neptuna tartar. Does that sound right? And I believe somebody got one of the salads. Yes. We go for the fried foods. Exactly. I mean, clearly. But we were happy. I really liked my starter. I feel like I made a good choice. I would get the calamari again for sure. And I would probably definitely get the cauliflower again. Okay, so the dinner course, there's not many, so I figured I could maybe just read all of the options. Not all the details, but just so you have an idea of what they offer for dinner. Short rib, Florida red snapper, free-range chicken, a duck dish, a terra bolognese, a blue house salmon, and a filet mignon. Um, So of that choice, I chose the Florida Red Snapper. That was San Marzano, tomato broth, fingerling potatoes, broccolini, and Sicilian tapenade. I always mess that word up, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And what was your review? Excellent. It was... Look, fish is one of my favorite things to eat, but this was flaky, it was buttery, it was cooked to perfection, and then those San Marzano tomatoes mixed in with the broth gave it like the perfect sauce to go with it. And then it was even topped with 
not really a chimichurri, but some sort of something like that with some <laughs> extra seasoning on top. I would 100% get that dish again. And then I decided to go with the slow rotation short rib. I was kind of torn between the short rib, the salmon, and the filet. I feel like typically I would have gone for the filet, but for whatever reason, because the short rib came with cheddar grits, bacon, and something called Herricotts Verts, which I discovered are just green beans. I don't know why I didn't just say <laughs> green beans. <laughs> so they could charge you $79 a person. <laughs> I should have just said green beans. Um, I went with it because I really wanted to try the cheddar grits. And I was so pleased with my meal. The meat was very tender. It just kind of fell apart as soon as I started digging into it. But the real star of the show, and this might sound crazy, but it was the bacon on the top. When you got a bite with the bacon and the short rib, like the saltiness and the nice little crunch from the bacon, it was just like the perfect bite. It was so good. Now, the cheese grits, not the best cheese grits on property. I think it's my personal mission to try all cheese grits on property. Yeah, I was going to say, what's right now, what are your top three cheese grits on property? Oh, I mean, my top number one cheese grits of all time ever, City Works Brunch, hands down. Um, Boathouse? Boathouse had some pretty good cheese grits. I'm trying to think. Olivia's? Yeah, Olivia's has some good cheese grits. It's mostly brunch places, but I digress. These were good. They weren't overly cheesy. So if you're like a grit purist, which that's kind of crazy, <laughs> it wasn't overpowering. That's what I used to eat growing up was just butter grits. See, I did not start eating grits until just recently. This is a new thing that has come into my life. You became a Southerner like much later in life than me as far as your palate. Like you started drinking sweet tea like in college. No, or it even wasn't after. even in call. It was when I was teaching. It was probably my second or third year of teaching. So I was probably 25. <laughs> you know how I know that you're not a full Southerner, though? You don't like biscuits. Yeah, I don't, they're too much. They're too crumbly. <laughs> I don't they know just make a mess. It just gives know. me anxiety. I don't know what's wrong with you, but not, the liking, short rib. not liking biscuits is a character <laughs> flaw. <laughs> But the short rib was great. I would, again, I would definitely get this again. Um, so at our table, let's see, no one got the chicken or the duck. Colleen did get the salmon. The presentation for that one in particular was pretty cool. It came with one of those domes that trapped in like the smoke and they did a little twirl. And then the filet, because of course that's going to be a popular choice. What stood out to me the most on that one were how they did the potatoes was kind of like a fried potato looking thing. Hmm. Like almost like a hash brown. So if you were to go tomorrow, would you get the short rib again or would you switch to something else? I might get the short rib again. Wow. I'd be tempted to try the filet, but like what do you do if it's worse? Then I would just be sad and regret not getting the short rib. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ready for dessert? Oh, I'm always ready for dessert. So you only have five options for dessert, a carrot cake, a sticky toffee pudding cake, chocolate cheesecake, uh, gelato and sorbet, or a lemon mousse. And I'm pretty sure everybody at our table stuck with the top three, either the carrot cake, the 
Did anybody get the sticky toffee pudding? Yeah, Colleen did. And the chocolate cheesecake. And the chocolate cheesecake is what I went with. This was, well, I was going to say the worst part of my meal. That Jameson drink was probably the worst part. This was, this was kind of a disappointing one for me. What do you think about it was disappointing? Like, what would have made it better? I don't think it was a cheesecake was the real thing with me. Like, I don't know. Like, I didn't taste any cream cheese. It was spaced cheesecake. Is that what you're saying? There well. Was, maybe there's no cheese. So here's cheese the description. A whipped chocolate ganache, chocolate sauce, white chocolate, crunchy pearls, cookie crumbs, and dark chocolate shards. Now, the presentation was really cool. Those chocolate shards, they like stuck them in there. So it kind of looked like, I don't know, a meteor or something is maybe what I thought they were going for. But it just tasted like chocolate pudding to me. Mm-hmm. It's, so I didn't get much else on top of that. If we were going tomorrow, I would get the sticky toffee pudding because now I've seen... Pudding cake. Yes. So that's... Real quick, the description is dark chocolate sauce, caramel crunchy pearls, and salted toffee drizzle. So I think that's what I would go with next time. Now, a lot of people rave about the toffee pudding from Liberty Tree. We're still like really bad Disney fans, and we haven't been to Liberty Tree. But I'd be interested to know from someone who had both, which one is the better toffee pudding cake? But I feel like there's a, is one just a pudding and one is cake form because that is a difference. I think the one at Liberty Tree is like a cake too. Okay. I don't know. We've never been. But I'll take your word for it. I went with the carrot cake because they had me at cream cheese. So I'll read the description. It's a plant-based carrot cake. So it is the vegan option is what the waitress told me, um, which means that the cream cheese icing that they had is, again, plant-based cream cheese. And then it came with candied walnuts and toasted pepitas. I don't really know what pepitas are, but the walnuts were great. I think they're like little, almost like like pine nuts. Kind of. Yeah. So just a little crunch. I thought this was excellent. I would maybe again steer steer away from a carrot cake typically, but I felt like the cake was just awesome. It was kind of like fluffy it wasn't dry in at person, all. In person, Catherine said the M word that we're no longer allowed to say. I didn't know how else to describe it. I I guess I need to look up synonyms for it, but it it was the opposite of dry. <laughs> it was just a really good cake. You know, it was it wasn't super dense, but it wasn't like overly airy to where I felt like I was eating like an angel food cake or anything. How quickly after you said the M word do you think we would get a one star review on iTunes? Oh my gosh. We just won't do it then. But the cream cheese, before I ordered it, because I did ask the waitress, who was excellent, by the way, if I should get the carrot cake or the sticky toffee pudding cake. And she said it's kind of 50-50 as far as that's what most people get. Like those are the top two chosen desserts. And she mentioned that the cream cheese icing was going to be more of like a whipped cream kind of texture since it's not real cream cheese. But I still felt like it tasted like cream cheese. And then the walnuts just gave it a good crunch. I mean, I, I ate the whole thing. I wouldn't have known it was vegan. No. Which, I don't. Honestly, that area of the Disney culinary experience, I've never had something that was vegan or vegetarian that was bad. I almost like think that's what you should go to because they... <laughs> 
it's almost like they go above and beyond on those to make sure that they are providing like the best quality that they can for people who have those dietary restrictions Mm -hmm. or just choices if you choose to be. But I mean, yeah, it was amazing. I 100% would get that carrot cake again. If I could just get that at the bar, like if whenever we get to go to the bar and just eat that menu, I would absolutely get it. It was good. I mean, a meal of like the cauliflower, some calamari and a carrot cake, all the C's. <laughs> that would be good. It, yeah. The last thing I wanted to mention, we didn't get this, but I'm reading it right now on the menu and it sounds fun. Listed under dessert drinks and you can probably just get it, you know, whenever you want it. But they have something called the Milky Way, which is chilled espresso, spiced brown sugar syrup, caramel cream and Milky Way. That sounds good. Yeah. You that you know what? That they should have had more Milky Way involved. Some sort I of Milky like, Way dessert. Yeah. I think there was another beverage somewhere that had Milky Way in it, maybe. Or maybe not. Oh yeah, the Milky Way. It's a zero proof cocktail. Oh, it's the same one that I just read. Duh. Um also just to note, we did not participate in this, but those zero proof sippers is what they're officially listed as the two that i see on the version of the menu that i'm looking at moon rocks and the Lightyear lemonade they both include a pack of the space 220 collectible trading cards which i was very tempted to do that they're certainly meant for children but you say collectible and i my ears perk up and i just clicked on it on the website so i could read about it it says that they have original artwork and space themed fun facts on the cards they have 6 cards per set and they do sound pretty cool so i guess we got to go back for those they have a different series named after the different planets so i feel like that's endless possibilities you'll be back a lot i guess card categories include space trivia Food in space trivia and space technology. Nice. Yeah. I would say um, a question we get a lot for a lot of these dining locations is, is it kid friendly? I think this certainly is. Oh, absolutely. I think there are so many cool things for kids. And I think like with the fun drinks, the menu, I'm sure there is a kid's menu somewhere that you could look up. And I bet I saw it and I bet it's excellent, you know, things that children would actually want to eat, but there's just so much to look at. And because it is so immersive, like for example, our waitress started talking about her pets. So she was talking about, you know, cats and dogs in space and how she thinks they should get a dog on the space station and just like fun things that I feel like kids could really go to town. She said her dog dog was named Luna, which I don't know if that was like fitted to the theme or if she Uh actually had a dog named Luna. It'd be cool either way, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, either way. Um, Just in case anybody's wondering, the kids' meals is spaghetti. Space Getty. Space Getty, galactic salmon, cosmic chicken, steak and space fries, or the mission macaroni. So, a couple options there. Yeah. Um, So, final review. I mean, coming down, we kind of already talked about it before. Coming down the elevator was just as cool as going up. And make sure when you do that, you're looking both out of the top portal and the bottom portal because you will be able to see you leaving the space station and going back 
towards Earth. And you're, if your elevator attendant is like ours, not elevator attendant, um, what would you call it? Space that? portal thing. <laughs> <laughs> attendant. Uh, yes. They will direct your attention kind of saying like, okay, now we're going to break the atmosphere and start going back close to Earth. And you know, then you can look at Epcot as you approach it. But And he talked about how because of the gravity, we were moving a lot faster down than we did up, which does make sense. I liked that. And you could feel it. It did feel like you were going faster, I thought. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a trick on your eyes, but either way, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Um, but yeah, I would absolutely go back here. I think in the beginning of this, we kind of talked about the price. $80 a person is not cheap by any means, especially we both got two drinks on top of it. So we kind of blew our dining budget already <laughs> just on this. And when you start to get into that range of, you know, $160 plus, you know, going towards 200 with a tip and a little bit past there, that's a place that we maybe once a year, like on special occasions is what we would do something like that for. And when you start to compare that to other things in that price category, so California Grill, Toledo, Topolino's, things like that, I don't think Space 220 is better than any of those, but I think it's kind of holds its own, maybe at the bottom of that pack. I think the experience itself elevates it in my mind. I think so. If you're looking for just like a nice sit-down dinner for some of the things that you've already mentioned, like just like the kid-friendly factor and the family factor, you know, this is not like a romantic dinner night. You know, if you're going for like an anniversary, is it fun? Absolutely. Was the food good? Yes. But it's not necessarily what you might think of when, you know, you compare it to like a California grill or something like that. You know, it is a fancy, more expensive meal, but it does kind of fall into a different category because of the experience. Yeah. So I my recommendation would be go for lunch if at all possible. I think I would feel much more comfortable paying $55 a person rather than $79 a person. And I would even say the lounge might even be the best option available to get the experience more than anything and get some of those smaller bites. And I think you can order off the prefix menu if you choose to go that route, if I'm not mistaken. Well, when you look at the menu, there are prices listed next to all of those things, which would lead me to believe if we were just to sit at the bar, I would be able to just get an order of like cauliflower because they all have individual prices listed. That's a good point. So I'm not sure exactly. And it might change over time. You know, if they're super busy right now, they might just say, no, you're at the bar, you get the bar menu and that would be fine. But it could be a little either way, maybe. Yeah. But either way, I think this is a wonderful addition to in-park dining. I think a lot of our favorite restaurants on Disney property right now fall outside of the parks at the resorts or at Disney Springs. So I think having an option like this that is within a park, it's kind of gatekept by an admission ticket. So maybe once things thin out a little bit, it'll be a little bit easier to get into. Who knows? Well, time will tell on that. But I do, I'm encouraged by the fact that they are trying to elevate in park dining. I wish they would add more to like Epcot was probably already the best in that matter. Like I think Hollywood and Magic Kingdom need a lot more of that. But 
I'll take it where I can get it. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty fair review. Harmonious. Okay. So let's start by saying we knew we were going to watch Harmonious this night. Space 220, because it was a three-course meal, and we mentioned, you know, we got two drinks. It, it is a whole experience. We were in there for a while. So we were kind of watching the clock, and we knew that we were getting closer and closer and closer to showtime. We ended up asking for the checks before we got dessert so we could basically stuff our dessert in our mouths and then run, which means we were just a teeny tiny bit late to the show, and we didn't have, like, front row seats. So I feel like that does play into our experience. Now, we did watch it since then, just on video so that we could see everything again, just in a better light. But I guess the first thing that I'll say about it is seating and your viewing spot does matter. That hasn't always been the park for Epcot shows, but I think 100% to see Harmonious and get a full experience, you need a good seat. Which to me, personally, I find that a little disappointing. I think that when you're there front and center, it's an excellent experience. But to me, that's always been the allure of Illuminations or with Epcot Forever is that you could really view it from anywhere as long as you could see World Showcase Lagoon. Uh, Illuminations a little bit more so than Epcot Forever. Epcot Forever You just needed to hear the music and see the fireworks. But for Illuminations, you know, you needed to see the globe, but you could view it from all 11 countries and see it. With Harmonious, just the way that they have these barges set up, really, I think you have to be at Port of Entry or Japan, maybe America, but like the the Gardens Theater blocks a lot of those prime locations and may what be on the other side? Germany, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I think that that's getting too far away. I feel like you do really need to be kind of out in front of it because what it Pat, Pat and Kelly said that they watched it from like Mexico for the very first time because they saw it the night before, and they said that that wasn't great. That that was a little too far off center. So that's kind of what we're talking about when we say you need to be kind of dead on is from things that we've heard and from kind of our experience this first night, you do need a good viewing spot because there are projections and the show relies fairly heavily on those projections, just like a Magic Kingdom show. Which to me, this is just personally how I have always viewed the Epcot fireworks is that they're not something that you camp out for, in my opinion. I have always viewed the Epcot fireworks, no matter which show it is, is... You're experiencing the countries until the very last minute, and then you just kind of step outside, you view them, and it's pretty much the same show for everybody, no matter where you are at that point. And I I feel disappointed that that is not the case with Harmonious. You certainly can. That is still an option, but you are lessening your experience because of that. Because you just can't see as much. I mean, it's just like if you think about Magic Kingdom— If you are not right in front of the castle, you know, if you're behind it, to the side, whatever, you're going to miss things. Which is, which is maybe like, to me, this goes hand in hand. That was one of my biggest critiques, critiques of enchantment was that our alternative viewing spot really didn't work out the way that we wanted to. 
and it's the same for Harmonious. I just, it, to me, it's a hard Band-Aid to pull off that now both of them are that way. Both of you, you have to kind of camp out in order to get the real good spot. And and really what we're talking about here is the big circle portal, I don't know, wormhole, Barge. whatever you want to call it. That plays such an integral role into the visual storytelling that goes along with the show. You almost can't afford not to see it. So, for example, if you're in the UK, you are only seeing two of the tacos. That's what I'm going to call them. The tacos. That, oh, my gosh. Like tacos. Stop it. People are calling them that. I, you, <laughs> people are you. Uh, both. Okay. And... For example, here's an example for something in the show is, oh, I really wish I knew exactly what they were called. But the big cat dragon thing from Coco. Do you know what it's called? Oh, his dra- his friend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you were uh, gearing up like I thought you were going to say the real name of it. Oh, gosh. No, that. I don't know his name. Okay. Anyway. Okay, so let's go through the show and we'll kind of point out some of these things as we go along. Well... Just let me finish this point okay. real quick. One of the big parts of the show is the face of the cat dragon, okay. panther dragon, is in the middle in the portal, and his wings and the rest of his body are off on the tacos. Well, if you're only seeing the tacos, he's missing a head. <laughs> you know? Like, that's yeah. to me, that's disappointing. I would I would feel disappointed if I watched it from a Norway, UK, France. Yeah, that nice bridge that a lot of people used to stand on or like the fish and chips area with all those tables. I know a lot of people used to sit there because there are tables. That's not a prime seat anymore. Yep. So now that we have that all the way, seating aside, I really really liked harmonious and i think the longer it sat with me the more that i like it so let's start from the beginning when we went back and watched it i thought the beginning of the show had an interesting opening it wasn't anything super grand it was kind of a slow start it's basically just a bunch of songs mixed together and different voices and sounds and i think they're just trying to gear you up for the fact that they are about to combine a lot of our favorite Disney songs within the show. Kind of. I have a different interpretation. Okay, what's your interpretation? Well, I mean, not a different interpretation. I just, I just think the what I have now walked away with, listening to the soundtrack a couple times and thinking about it, is I think they're just gearing you up for it. And they said this in their marketing stuff, so this isn't a novel idea for me. It's they are talking about how music is a universal language. And it's all about Epcot, especially Future World, has always been about communication and technology and how that works together. So I think it's a nice blend of the languages of the world and how they come together using music. Now, it happens to be with a lot of Disney intellectual property, which I am personally okay with, but. I don't know. Do you think I said the same thing as you in different words? Um, Semi, but I guess you put it in like a better 
format, which is fine. Not better, just different. Different. I did have to look this up because I was curious after watching it, like you said, a few times. How many different languages do you think are represented in the show? Twelve. Thirteen. Oh, wow. It says it's 15 songs in 13 languages from 240 artists recorded in 110 sessions across nine countries. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I like, I really like that. I like that they went through that effort to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So I just thought 13 languages was cool because we were trying to pick them out, like as the songs were going, like, oh, do you think this is this language or that based on, you know, just the geography of the place that they were singing from. And I just had to look it up because I thought it would be cool. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe a lot of people's issue with this, it's an age old argument about Epcot. Does Epcot need intellectual property in it? I happen to fall into the camp that I love the history of Epcot and I love what Epcot was supposed to be, but I also really love the direction that Epcot is going and that includes intellectual property. So I think intellectual property is a wonderful means in order to share the message of Epcot. I think that the story of, uh, let's just say, the Three Caballeros is a great way to connect you to Mexican heritage and Mexican culture. Now, some people might think that's cheap or like an easy way out, but I kind of like it as a means for that. And I think that's maybe a big deciding factor on if you will like Harmonious or not. Well, sticking with that point, I think, you know, a big part of the show, like you mentioned, is that they're trying to show, you know, that we can all be connected through music. I mean, it's in the name of the show. And in sticking with that, you know, children connect with these characters you know, they might see their favorite character is Mulan, and now they are connecting the fact that Mulan is from China. You know, kids sometimes need to see that or hear these different languages. You know, Coco, obviously, when we watch the movie, it's in English. But guess what? In Mexico, where Coco is set, they don't actually speak English. Look, this is the language that is original to them. So children are able to make those connections when they see a show in this kind of way. Well, and it reminds me of a post that happened when Coco was in theaters and it was talking about how they didn't dub over Coco from English to Spanish. They did it twice. They did animation for the character speaking in Spanish and they did animation for the character speaking in English. And it's something that we take for granted as being English speakers, is we're just accustomed to that. And I'll never forget people sharing their experiences of going with their parents who didn't know English and being able to enjoy the movie in its original form where the you know the words match up with the mouths of when they're speaking. And for that reason, I think this show shows that same thing of you know, this the, the, this same song, Remember Me, is sung in English and in Spanish. And showing that connection of how you're able to communicate that way, I think is really cool. Well, and the fact that they did that with other popular songs, too. And it's like you're still kind of singing along in your head. Obviously, for us, it's English because that's our native language. 
but they are singing in Chinese or, you know, whatever other language it is. At one point we thought since it was Hercules, maybe they were singing in Greek, but we still know the words. Like we're still singing it in French, our heads. Yeah. yeah. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, my original, like right off the bat, and if anybody watched our vlog, shameless plug, <laughs> the quote that I said was, I think it's a really great show, but I don't know if it's right for Epcot. I thought maybe this would be a good show for like Hollywood studios because my first impression of it, that it was just celebrating Disney movies. And I think the longer that it sat with me and the more that I listened to the narration at the beginning of it and more that I listened to the original song of it, it does paint a beautiful picture and share a really wonderful message specifically about language and communication and how we're all in this together. No matter if we speak different languages, we're all together. The same stories resonate with all of us. And I don't know. I've It's probably the biggest flip-flop, like the quick, not the biggest, the quickest flip-flop of all time, but I've flipped. Yeah, you want to know what our biggest flip-flop is? Country bears. Country bears. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go through some of our most memorable scenes because I do feel like this show is beautiful. There's a lot going on. It's it's very visually stimulating. Like there's a lot that I missed in person that when we watch it over in video together, kind of prepping for this, that I noticed that I thought were super cool. So the first scene that stood out to me, Africa. Anything Lion King, I'm down. But that part in particular, I just thought everything about it was stunning. I would love to know... I would assume it's Swahili since Lion King characters have so many Swahili influences. Like Simba means lion, right? Uh, oh, gosh. It's something, Simba has like a very on-the-nose meaning in Swahili. Yes. I know. Um, so I would assume that I maybe would have liked to see some different African languages split in together. You know, like uh, some Afrikaans or some... Sakosa or, you know, other languages spoken in Africa, but I think it is good. What was your next favorite scene? You know. Is it Coco? Well, I was going to say Princess and the Frog, but Coco is probably the best part, I think. I wrote down in big, bold letters the colors of the Coco portion of the show. I thought it was stunning. Like, it's something that I can even still picture right now as we're talking about it. It's just very bright. It's very vibrant, like, full of life, which is kind of funny considering it's all about the dead. <laughs> but it's just, it's so beautiful. And I thought it was one of the most fun scenes also. And that was a part where the groups behind us were like clapping and dancing and singing along to this part and not to... Be comparative, but to be comparative, that never happened in Enchantment. Like, nobody had a <laughs> a physical reaction to it, to clap or to dance or to head bob. Well, At least I didn't notice. If you don't dance to Coco, there might be something seriously wrong with you. Because it true. is music that makes you want to dance. Yeah. But let's talk about your favorite scene. Princess and the Frog. Yeah, we have to talk about Princess and the Frog. The first thing I want to mention about it is how do you feel about all of the United States of America being represented by 
not only Princess and the Frog, but I think New Orleans is particularly fun because when I think the United States, I feel like that's not the first city to come to my mind. What do you want, like New York? I don't I don't even know. You know honestly. if it was New York who they would have done? Who? Joe Gardner. Joe Gardner. <laughs> uh I mean, the, they had the soul exhibit back there when the movie was out in the America Pavilion. That's true. Uh, I could have gotten down for some Pocahontas. I could have gotten down for some... I, no, that's it. I, you know, what What else are you going to say? Cars? No, I just think it's funny. <laughs> Does like Toe when Mater the- set the tone for America? <laughs> well, probably. But I just think it's funny whenever we see Princess and the Frog... I mean, it's super cool that it's set in the United States and obviously New Orleans has a lot of cool history and like a fun scene too, you know, setting the tone for the music. But it just kind of made me giggle like when people from other countries visit and get to see, you know, the movie glimpse into the United States, they see New Orleans. And I just thought that was funny. And you want them to use Home on the Range? Yeah, let's use Home on the Range. No. Um. What other parts stood out to you? Um, so the Mulan and China section really stood out to me. So they focused mostly on the reflection song, Christina Aguilera. She sang that a lot for the 50th celebration. It's almost like she didn't know any other songs. Or maybe that's her Disney claim to fame. But I, I loved that whole scene. I thought it was beautifully done. But there was a part where things started to kind of kick up a notch and, you know, everything turned red and they're fighting. And my biggest complaint is that they missed an opportunity for the let's get down to business. I'll make a man out of you. Yeah. How did that song not come up even just for a brief second? Well, just to play devil's advocate, they used a lot of the same kind of songs and feelings and color tones as Happily Ever After. I said that. That's what I said in the car. Well, I said it too. For our vlog. I'm agreeing with you. So that's that like that's what that part reminds me of is whenever he says the flower that blooms in adversity and then the whole Mulan sequence happened and happily ever after, I thought, Oh, it's happening in harmonious again. I was waiting for him to come on and say the flower that blooms in <laughs> adversity. The same thing kinda happened with Hercules. I liked that I mean it was a pretty brief of time um, I thought that it was weird that the only projections during that period of the show were like columns did you notice that yeah so that that is a comment that I had is some of the projections were pretty weak to me versus like Coco with the cat dragon for like the princess and the frog sequence there were like some stork flamingo looking things just like they weren't even dancing; they were just there. I some of it was way better than other parts. Mm-hmm. There was a like the uh, Lion King sequence that that was very visually appealing. The characters were up there; it looked cool. Ooh, my favorite! What about when they did the Merida Brave sequence, and it was her hair? Yeah, it was just red curls. Uh, but the Jungle Book sequence is cool because it was King Louie as a, like a like puppet. Like a puppet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess we should have mentioned spoilers <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't watched it yet. But we're not like, I don't know. I don't know if that's a spoiler. I don't know either. Maybe we should just should have said that. Spoilers. 
Um, so the one other thing that I wanted to talk about was just the barges themselves. I thought they did some pretty cool things. They don't just spit water up in the air. They shoot fireworks. They move around. So I thought it was really interesting to just kind of watch how like the arms of the barges move. Sometimes I thought the movements were a little unnecessary. I didn't quite know what they were doing. But other times, like when they were doing the Arabian Nights with Aladdin, it turned Brendan's tacos into genie lamps. Did you notice that? Yeah. And I thought that was really cool, the way that they were able to move the arms and make it, give it that look. I will agree that the barges are super cool during the show. <laughs> Not I, during the day. Yeah. I, you will never be able to convince me that they look good during the middle of the day. Again, talk about from the artist rendering to the little hose pipe that they do during the middle of the day is comical. And well, that's why I had to mention that they don't just spit water. It's not just a fancy fountain. They do some pretty cool things. So maybe they'll ramp it up during the day and like spray more water. <laughs> I I don't know what else they can do. But yeah, I would agree. I was impressed with what they were able to add to the show. To me, though, kind of circling back to our original point, I wish the center portal was something different. That it, it being two-dimensional is not good. It You know on, what's not two-dimensional? A globe. A globe. They should have had a globe, to be completely honest. That would have fit perfectly here. And it didn't even have to be the same globe. Uh, I did like at the end, there's a little, it, spoiler alert, it, it shows a picture of Earth. I thought that was a little throwback nod to Illuminations. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I um, I didn't, I, I, there, someone didn't think about how Epcot fireworks are viewed. That the majority of people don't watch them for Port of Entry or Japan. The majority of people are around the rest of the countries. And then you think about port of entry, about half that space is going to be taken for dessert, dessert party. parties. And then they sometimes have other ones blocked off for other special events. So your viewing areas are quickly cut down on where you can get the full show. And to me, I just think that's disappointing because I do think it's a very, very good show and it deserves to be viewed from everywhere. So speaking of just the show itself, you mentioned the music a little earlier and the original song and how it does kind of tie things together and you really liked it. Do you like the harmonious original song more or the enchantment original song more? I like the actual music, like how it sounds in my ear of <laughs> enchantment better but i like the message of harmonious more mm. i mean they're both good they are both good like yeah. find the magic within you it doesn't get much better than that now we can also have a separate discussion on why that show is called enchantment why is it not called the magic is in you because maybe that doesn't roll off the tongue well they say it about 50 times well they do I like the Magic Kingdom original song just a little bit more I think because it is a little more obvious like, I feel like you 
How many times have you listened to the Harmonious song? I guess is what I need to ask, honestly. I think three times. Hmm. I expect you to say more than that. <laughs> because I haven't picked up quite on everything that you have, I guess. Well, I might be, I don't know, maybe I'm putting a little extra sauce on it with my own mind. Who well, knows? that's okay. But I think I prefer the original song of Magic Kingdom more, but as a whole show, I think I prefer Harmonious more. Which is so weird. I never, I never thought I would say that. No. Ever. No, we've been wishes and happily ever after purist for as long as we can remember. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's been the only two shows that we've had while we've been alive, right? No, there was one before wishes. I'm sure there was, but I don't remember. Those are the two that are most prevalent Mm -hmm. of what we experienced. And yeah, it's, um, I guess we maybe should have said at the beginning, we weren't huge fans of eliminations. It never hit home with me. That one was like a little too slow for me. I felt like. And again, I think it's, it honestly just comes down to, and there's no right or wrong answer. It just comes down to how do you view Epcot? Do you like IP? Do you not like IP? And I think that's a big determining factor on if you will like this show. And I used to be no IP team. I've since switched, probably because <laughs> they introduced Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm not going to be against that in any way whatsoever. But I don't know. Do you think that's fair to say that's that's probably a the biggest factor on if you will like the show or not? In talking to some people like this dominated our lunch conversation today at work, that was the biggest thing that I heard people mention They did not like the show if they thought it was too focused on the movies, if kind of like our take on it, if the movies can help connect you to these different places and connect with the story and the overall message of like, we all have this connection in common. Like, look, we're not very, you're not that different. We might speak a different language, but we all love the same things and can relate to these stories. Then I think it can be a really nice show and a really good message. If you were looking for something more like Epcot forever and you wanted to stick with, I love Epcot, Epcot history, what was Walt's vision for Epcot, then you're probably not going to like it because they even mentioned in the 50th show on ABC, how when they were pursuing Epcot from the very beginning, they knew that they had to get away from what Walt originally wanted. You know, they mentioned that like in their own words from the very beginning, we turned it into a park, not necessarily what Walt envisioned. Maybe they just couldn't figure it out, whatever it might've been. So I'm not saying that we need to forget that, but. I think that's demonstrated in other ways besides the fireworks show. Yeah. I think you're really going to see that in dreamers point. And I hope that you're going to see this in the re-envisioned future world, whatever mm-hmm. these new neighborhoods are called. Oh, yeah. Now I'm trying to think of what they're called, and I don't know. Something nature world. Discovery. Nature world. <laughs> Not world, <laughs> is it? I thought it was, because I thought that's what they all had in common. Oh. Like world showcase. Oh, it's like. World something. Oh, maybe so. Space world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, But, yeah, I think. Just final thoughts. I do. I, I, again, I can't believe I'm saying this and I guess I'm not cementing myself. I could change my mind over time, but at this point in time, I enjoy harmonious more than enchantment. 
And I think it is a good show. I think it's borderline a great show. There's some, there are some things that I wish were different about it, but I really enjoyed it. And I agree. I think the music is what kind of makes it here. I think if you're looking for a deeper message, it's there. It's not completely in your face. Um, but I liked the way that you broke it down, Brendan. And I just think thank you. finally getting to see the barges in action, it was cool. Like I said, they did some cool things. There were some unexpected parts of the show with like different formats of fireworks and things. Um, some of the things that they were able to do with like projections and the fountains I thought were pretty cool. I was just surprised by it. Yeah. Last thing I'll say is that I do have an appreciation for the movies that the the IP that they did pick. I feel like they were all movies and stories that have a deep connection to the setting that they actually take place in. So to the culture and to the geographic setting. So for example, you didn't see any Nemo or any little mermaid in there or stories that or like a Cinderella that don't have a deep connection to where they're located. Can you think of one that doesn't? I mean, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Does that have a deep French history that I'm missing? Lumiere is like the only thing. <laughs> but I do agree for the most part. You, you're like thinking Hunchback, about Mulan, Hunchback, Moana. Coco. Coco. Um, I guess even Brave. Yeah, I mean, some of some of them are a little bit of a stretch, but I see what you're saying. And maybe they'll release more movies in the future that have like this. Encanto is set in Colombia, so you know they could always use something like that. Mm -hmm. What you looked at me like I was crazy. No, I think that I'm I'm really excited for that movie. Actually, and it's Lin Manuel Miranda, so you know it's going to have some good music in it. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that'll be like the first amendment to Harmonious <laughs> is how can we squeeze this in? No, I was just thinking that that would actually be really cool because I think that looks like a fun movie. Yeah, I might replace Beauty and the Beast with Remy or with Ratatouille, actually. But there's not a lot of great music. The score is like the only thing, yeah. The Epcot is full of that right now. <laughs> Do we really need to hear it during Harmonious too? Probably not. Okay. Um Beacons of Light, Beacons of Magic, whatever it's called. We have not actually seen the official show that goes along with the lighting of Spaceship Earth. We did just see what it actually looks like lit up. Wow. It is breathtaking. It's a beauty. I might have to say that it's probably, and we haven't seen all of the beacons of light yet, or I'm just going to call them beacons. We haven't seen all of the beacons just yet, but I do think that it's probably going to be the most visually appealing. Obviously the castle is beautiful no matter what you do to it because it's a castle and you're in Disney world and it gives you like the sentimental, but spaceship earth, those lights just did something with that geodesic sphere. And it's something there's no camera in the world that can properly capture what it looks like. It's something you have to see in person and I've seen a video clip of the actual lighting ceremony of it. That is super cool. As for fans of old school Epcot and new Epcot, or if you're not a fan of Epcot, I still think <laughs> 
that is an, a don't miss opportunity or experience to do next time. And I would say that for all of the parks. I think from what I've heard, and I want to form my own opinion, from what I've heard, the Tree of Life was unfortunately like the most underwhelming. But we'll see. But I think just like the Cinderella Castle and Spaceship Earth are both, the ones that we've seen are both like, wow. And everybody around you is commenting, like, I can't believe it looks so good. Yeah, they really did. As far as the beacons, from what we've been able to see so far, they've done a really great job at really finding a new way to illuminate them and highlight them and just kind of showcase them. Yep. So we're in an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. Uh, probably combined for this episode and Monday's episode, this is the most recording time we've ever put out in two episodes. Probably. Uh, probably since like our Disneyland trip reports or something like that. And, you know, we got a lot to talk about there. Yeah, but hope you guys enjoyed us sharing our thoughts on the 50th opening weekend. Of course, if you have any questions or want to know our thoughts about anything, um, we are an open book to answer anything like that. We have a new vlog up today that has our experience from Magic Kingdom on the 50th that we'd love for you to check out. You can also check out the previous one that has our day that's the same of what we just talked about, of Space 220, Harmonious, and the Beacon on Spaceship Earth. Love to have you check us out over on YouTube. And as always, patreon.com slash detour Neverland. You can check out our Patreon, see if it's something that you might be interested. We'd love to have you join us over there. Just one tier, just $5 is all we have it set up for. We want to keep it simple, make sure that we can deliver something that is of value to you. So we thank you so much for listening. Any last thoughts you have, Catherine? No, I've had a lot of fun kind of reliving our weekend. It was honestly one of the best weekends that we've had since moving down. I feel like I can say that confidently. And I hope that if you're coming down, like Brendan said, if you have any questions, we're an open book. We'd love to give you just our honest opinions on what we've experienced. And that's about it. Uh, one last thing. We're not a planning podcast. However, if we were... <laughs> my advice would be not to make anybody panic, but international travelers can come back starting November. November. I think it's November 12th. We expect the crowds are about to kind of burst a little bit. So if you are on the fence and want to take advantage of these low crowds that we have right now, quote unquote low, yeah, they kind of vary from week to week. Might want to see if you can book a last minute something and reach out to our friend Hannah. Her, her information is down in the show notes if you want to get that ball rolling. But just like a word to the wise little nugget, if we were a planning process, planning podcast, that's what I would tell you. That'd be your advice. But I'm not because we're not a planning <laughs> podcast. So no. thank you guys for listening. We will chat with you on Monday. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon. <laughs>